Let's begin with a scripture lesson. Reading from the Gospel of Mark, which we are making our way through. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little bit farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And from chapter 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Amen. The first recorded act of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is not something spectacular. He doesn't start out his public ministry with a, with a bang and perform a sensational miracle, sweeping everybody off their feet. He doesn't begin with a mighty sermon converting hundreds. No, his ministry begins with a call to four common laborers, four fishermen, to follow him. This is Jesus' way. He's not one to make a big splash, at least the beginning of his ministry. But instead, he begins with a very quiet summons to four rather ordinary people. The setting is the Sea of Galilee. I'm not quite sure why it's called a sea. It was really nothing more than a, a lake. It was a beautiful lake. It is a beautiful lake today. It's in the shape of a harp. It is about nine miles wide and 13 miles long, uh, and it is 700 feet below sea level. And if you can remember kind of your geography of that portion of the Middle East, you have the Sea of Galilee in the north, you have the Dead Sea in the south, and connecting those two bodies of water is, is the Jordan, the Jordan River. Now, in Jesus' day, there were a number of fishing villages uh, dotting the shoreline, and uh, many, many families would have done very well in the fishing business. Fresh water fish, fresh fish, uh, were, were prized in the markets of the day. And so a family could do really well if they had a boat, if they had all the equipment. Uh, there were four fishermen here, Simon and Andrew and James and John. And they would appear to have been business partners. So they probably were not rich, but they probably weren't really poor either. Well, one fine day, Simon and Andrew are casting their nets into the water from the shore. And James and John are out in, in the boat with, uh, with, with their father Zebedee. 
when all of a sudden comes along a fellow, that is Jesus, who says to them, follow me and I'll have you fishing for people. There's no indication in the Gospel of Mark that these fishermen knew anything about Jesus. He tells us really nothing that would explain why Simon and Andrew and James and John suddenly respond by dropping their nets, leaving everything behind, including the old man Zebedee, who must have wondered why he was so quickly abandoned. In fact, I always feel rather sorry for poor old Zeb. You know, there he is, left in the boat by himself with a few hired people. You know, where where'd they go? Clearly, there is something magnetic about Jesus that draws people to himself. When he calls, people respond one way or the other. Even today, people may not have anything to do with the church, but they will admit to having some fascination with Jesus. There is something about him. Now, imagine me going down there to the Muckleteo dock, to those who are putting their fishing lines in the water, those who are laying out their crab pots, and saying to them, hey, follow me, and I'll have you fishing for people. Hey, you who are looking for crabs, come on, follow me, and we'll turn crabby people into really nice people. Somehow, I don't think that that would have the same appeal. I don't think people would, would follow me. They'd think I was out of my mind, actually. But with Jesus, it was altogether different. He speaks with a kind of intrinsic authority. There is something compelling and strangely attractive about him. The more you get to know him, the more fascinating he becomes. There is beauty in his life that makes him more attractive than any other religious teacher. The character of his life is marked by simplicity and holiness, compassion and strength. There is a character of his teachings, bold and deep and incisive, cutting right to the heart of the deep issues of life. His life and his words ring true for me, which is why I personally have decided to follow Jesus. He models for me what it is to live a truly human life rightly connected to God. I want to be like him. So, yes, Jesus is my hero. So maybe those fishermen that day felt the beauty and the force of Jesus' personality even as he just stood there on the seashore. Jesus calls and the fishermen respond. And they do so without hesitation. They do so without delay. They don't have a group discussion. They don't put it up to a vote. They simply drop their nets and follow him. Now remember, as we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, there are certain themes that come up. And, uh, and the Gospel of Mark is full of urgency. Mark is always using this uh, words immediately, straight away, at once, without delay. I understand that the Taproot Theater in Seattle is presenting a play uh, on base, based on the, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, the play is aptly entitled, The Mark of Immediacy. 
right on the mark in terms of our sermon series, by the way. Maybe we should all go down there and check it out. Things happen immediately in this gospel. Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee, and people immediately leave their nets to follow him. Which is to say, the call to follow Jesus is an urgent one. It is to be above all other priorities, above the pressing issues of family and business. Because the good news is so life-changing, because one's ultimate destiny depends upon it, you can't postpone this call. You can't ignore it. You shouldn't put it off. You have to drop your nets, as it were, and follow. The readiness to respond to the call of Jesus as the most important claim upon your life is a main theme in the Gospel of Mark. There is no more important, greater claim upon your life than the call of Jesus. Who says, follow me. And the urgent call goes out to you and to me. Come, follow me, he says, and I'll have you fishing for people. So that he's calling us into fellowship with himself, to be his disciple, to be his apprentice, to be his student. Now, what does that mean for you and for me? Well, there are clues in the text. Note that Jesus is the subject of the call. Come, he says, follow me. Now, that is actually a very strange thing for him to say. In that day, no rabbi would ever have said that. For one thing, rabbis never went around looking for students. On the contrary, aspiring students went looking for a rabbi. The more renowned, the better. And if they were bright enough and ambitious enough, the rabbi would accept them into his school. So you have Jesus, who is a rabbi, essentially playing that role. He's looking for his students, contrary to rabbinic tradition. That's weird. And rabbinical students were never taught to follow a particular teacher, but only the Torah, the law, the law of God. In the Old Testament, the idea of following God is rare, if not absent. Neither Moses, nor the kings, or the great men of faith, nor the prophets call people as a rule to follow them personally, but only to walk in God's ways according to his statutes. But here's Jesus, contrary to all Jewish rabbinic tradition, who takes the initiative in looking for students, he chooses them, and then he summons them to follow him personally. He calls them not to follow the law of God, not the Torah, not a particular philosophy of life or spiritual path. The call of Jesus is to walk with him. The call is to walk with Jesus himself, who is vested with, with messianic authority as the very son of God. It's so important for us to remember that Christianity and our Christian life is not about following a philosophy, or a moral code, or a law, or the Ten Commandments. It's about following Jesus, whom we know to be a living person who wants to enter into a personal relationship with you and me. 
as he speaks to us through his Holy Spirit in the words of Holy Scripture. We're called to follow him. And we learn from our text that the only qualification for following Jesus is a willingness to follow and to learn. Unlike most aspiring students who would attach themselves to a rabbi, those who would follow Jesus are not required to do anything before they become disciples. They don't have to show a certain level of knowledge about the Torah, about the law of God. They don't have to pass a qualifying the theology exam. They don't have to know Hebrew or Greek. They do, however, have to be willing to venture out in faith with a teachable spirit, learning as one walks with him and listens to him and watches him and is mentored by him. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that just how little Peter and Andrew and James and John, how little they know when they start to follow Jesus, they don't know hardly anything at all. All they have, really, is a desire to know this guy. So often, I think, would-be disciples feel they have to have everything all figured out before they can commit their lives to Jesus, that they have to have, you know, more theology, or they have to have, you know, they have to know the ins and outs of, of the Apostles' Creed and so on before they can commit to being a Christian. But the Christian life begins, however, with just a step of faith, just to walk with him, just that simple desire to learn and grow. And as we begin to walk with Jesus, then we begin to grow in our understanding and things begin to make sense. That's how it was with those early disciples. They knew next to nothing when they started to follow Jesus. But as they walked with him over a, three, a course of three years, they came to realize who this Jesus was. So they could answer the question when Jesus says, later on, who do you guys say I am? Peter could appropriately respond, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He had grown in his understanding as he walked with Jesus where he reached that point. So really, the only qualification for following Jesus is just a willingness to venture out in faith and to have a teachable spirit. But beyond that, the call to discipleship is also a call to service. Follow me and I'll have you fishing for people. So that Jesus right away gives his disciples a task in life. He gives them a grand mission for their life. They are to care far more about people than they are about their fishing. So that others too may hear the message of the kingdom and turn around and experience the good news that is to be found in Jesus. The Lord gives us a, a, a purpose to live for. And there's no greater purpose, there's no better way to invest your life than in his cause, which matters eternally. So now we live for God and not for ourselves. Now we seek to live and to serve as Jesus did. As apprentices, we watch the master at work as he serves other people. We follow him around, as it were, observing his attitudes, his actions, his words, we become a student of his life in scripture. And in so doing, we learn to do as he does so that we seek always to follow his example and his model in all the relationships of our life. 
Dallas Willard, who's written some wonderful books on Christian discipleship, says that if we're to live out our call from Jesus to follow him, we have to continually ask ourselves, what would Jesus do if he were in my shoes right now? What would Jesus do if he were in my shoes right now? Having walked with him, having observed him, we ask that question, and then we seek to follow him. We follow his example, his model. So the call to discipleship is a call to follow Jesus with an open, teachable spirit. It's a call to service, and it's also a call to be in fellowship with other believers. Because with the call of the four fishermen and with a gathering of the eight others mentioned in Mark chapter 3, we have the beginnings of a new community. We have the beginnings of the Christian church. The Christian church actually doesn't begin with Pentecost. It begins with the calling of the four disciples on the, on the lake shore. In fact, the very first work of our Lord in his ministry is the work of creating a fellowship. Because not only does he need people to take up his cause and who will carry on after he was to leave uh, physically, but he knew that we would need each other. So when we seek to follow the call of God upon our life, the call of Jesus upon our lives, we need to do that within the context of a community to, so that we can encourage one another and, and support one another and pray for one another and love one another. And we need that. We live out our call to serve the world, but we, we also hear Jesus' call within the context of the church, which is why the church is so important. In fact, according to the New Testament, you can't really live a, a solitary Christian life. It's impossible. When you, when you are in Christ, you automatically become part of his body, which is made up of a diverse community. You know, what, really, I mean, what a motley crew that first church was. I mean, would any of us pick those people if we were starting a movement? I mean, would we pick them? I mean, well, of course, they were ordinary people like you and me. They were not people of noble birth. They did not have extensive educational credentials. There wasn't a PhD or a D-min among them, which is probably a good thing, actually. They had no special spiritual status. They were not experts in theology or doctrine. And their personalities and backgrounds were so different, you wouldn't think that they could ever work together. I mean, there was Peter, who had some natural leadership tendencies, but he was also impulsive and always putting his foot in his mouth and making a fool of himself. And then there was James and John, who were given to temper tantrums. And, uh, and then there was Thomas, who was always pouring cold water on things, you know, and doubting. Uh, and uh, what there was Matthew, an agent of the IRS. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> Matthew, the tax collector. Who would want one of those in your close circle, right? And then next to him was, was Simon, who was overly zealous. Again, he's called Simon the Zealot. You know, he was, he was a political activist, but man, he would have nothing to do with a tax collector. So how Simon and Matthew got together and how they lived together, I don't know, only by the grace of Jesus. Did that ever happen? 
And then, of course, there was Judas, who always seemed to have his hand in the till. Odd, isn't it, that Jesus would choose those people to be the, you know, the, the first string in his movement? I mean, really? Odd, isn't it, that Jesus should pick people like you and me to serve in the same way, to carry his mission out into the world? Wow. Now, Jesus could have carried out his saving work alone. He could have avoided sinful, weak human beings altogether to bring in his kingdom. And certainly it would have been a lot less messy, but he chose to use human vessels with all of our flaws and weaknesses to realize his redemptive purposes for the world. So right now... Jesus is calling you and me. He says, come follow me, and I'll have you fishing for people. He calls us to be with him, and then he sends us out to others that others might come into his kingdom and know his love and joy. It's a call to walk with him personally, a call to learn and grow to the end that we may join him in his mission, and it's a call to work together as his body in the world. And truly, there, there is no more urgent call. There is nothing more important. We better drop our nets, whatever we're holding on to for dear life, whatever it's giving. And we need to follow. We better do it now without delay. Amen. And amen.